You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. I'm just, I'm excited, and at the same time, um, a little, I don't want to say worried, but concerned as we move through today. Uh, Because there are some things in today's message that um, if we pay attention to them and we listen and we respond in a way that that where we sense God working and and He does something and moves in our life, um, it could mean a great deal in the life of our church, but it could mean a great deal in the life of our community. Um, so, so I, w- I really want to ask you to put on some listening ears, but more than just ears, because you can hear it, but if it doesn't reach the heart, then, then it's just going to be another one of those Sundays where you come to church, you hear a message, you go, oh, okay, and you walk out and, and you're, you're more concerned about lunch than anything else. And so what I really want you to do is just kind of be in the moment, be present for this particular time and say, God, what do you want to teach me? Where do you want me to go with what we talked about this morning? And how is that my life moving forward? What's it going to do? Well, how's it going to change me? We are in the middle, we're right about middle way in this series in preparation for our awakening weekend, April 12th through the 15th. And I just want to ask you again to put that on your calendar. Uh, There'll be a team coming in and we'll gather for some worship together and some sharing together, but there'll be also some small groups during that weekend. And you go, I hate small groups. I just want to tell you that it'll be a really good time. And and not like a party good time, it's a good time of looking at God's Word and saying, God, what do you want to do in my life? And, and some of us say, I don't want what God does in my life. Well, then I want to ask you a question. Why do you come to church? If you don't want what God has for you, why bother? Because it's an hour or two hours or three hours out of your time. And you say, you know, I don't need what God has. And the, I think the reality is, if we truly want what God has for us, that we want to continue to be in those places where we sense that God is going to give it to us. And so we have to have listening ears and really pay attention and just say, it's got to move from what I hear physically in this room to what is God doing in my life personally as we move throughout, whether it's this message or a weekend like the Awakening Weekend in April. So, so just put that on your, if you would, put that on your calendar, just mark it aside. Um, we have done these things so far. We've talked about... Uh, the beginning of it being revival is all about God. Revival and awakening, spiritual awakening, is really all about God. What does He want in our life? And then how can we glorify Him in, in all of this? It's for Him. It's from Him. He originates it. He gets it going. And He teaches us and drives us to Himself. He really just encourages us to come before Him. And then the we starts with I was the second part of this. And it's the idea that although collectively we can do revival services and get together and say this is what's happening to us as a body, as the body of Christ, as the family of God here at Ebenezer, 
It really starts with individuals saying, I am willing to be open to what God has for me. That it can't start with the elbow for the person sitting next to me or, or somebody in the back looking and somebody in the front saying well, they need to get their life together. And then as we turn around looking in the back and saying, you know, that group needs to get their life together. It's not like that. It's got to be individual. It's got to be the individual responding to what God calls us to do. So we starts with I. It's, we think about it collectively, but it's really individually. And allowing the individual nature of revival affect the whole as the body of Christ. And today we're talking about something called acknowledging the pain. You go, man, this, this sounds like fun. Understand that God gave us pain for a reason. And we may not like it. I don't know anybody that just, man, I can't wait to get hurt. You know, I don't know anybody that kind of has that mentality. But, but we, we have to kind of embrace pain sometimes because it's what we go through. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain must be attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's interesting that that C.S. Lewis would write that, and and we can talk about current events, and and if you think about even New Zealand this week and what happened at Christchurch, and and whether you agree with Muslim philosophy or you just kind of have a tolerance for it or whatever it is, you have to say that what was perpetrated in in Christchurch this week and attacking mosques was wrong. It was evil. It is not of God. As much as somebody like that would say, I want to wipe them off the face of the earth in the name of God, isn't that the same thing that we hear from the other side of that equation? Still not right. And so, hopefully, and my hope is that in the pain of that, there will be this, this, uh, this rallying point that points to the one true God that's the one, the God that we read about in Scripture. That there will be a reckoning that says, I understand that the God that is worshipped in a mosque is different than the God that is worshipped in other places, and the God that we worship needs to be seen there. The God of the Bible needs to be seen in that place. So C.S. Lewis said, God shouts in our pain. It's His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Ed Stetzer said, People never change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Think about that for a second. I don't want to change what I do as long as it's okay, as long as I can tolerate it. But when I can't tolerate, anymore, tolerate it anymore, then I'll change something. I got to think about um, my car, my truck. If the brakes squeak long enough, and the pain of that sound gets to my ear long enough, then I'll change my brakes. That or the pain of not stopping when I should stop. You know, one, one of those things is going to cause a change to take place. We all experience some type of pain. Usually it's in multiple ways during our lifetime. So some of it may be physical. We may go through physical things that cause pain and discomfort. We may go through emotional things that cause us pain and discomfort. The loss of a loved one or the news from a doctor you have some disease that you, can't, you don't have any control over. 
You say, God, why is this even in place? I don't, I don't want to go through that. You know, pain is uncomfortable. There's no way around it. When I was, when we lived in Pittsburgh, when I was growing up, one of the things that we used to do, and, and we didn't have video games like, like we do now. And so the, the thing was, for my parents, is they would say, go out and play. And they really didn't have this thing, go out to something organized and go play. They just said, go out and play. And it meant, figure out what to do, but get out of the house. Because you're driving me crazy. And so they'd chase us out. And so it was normal for a whole bunch of us guys to play football in the street. That was normal. And so we'd get together. And, and we usually didn't do it on my street because it was a little busier. We'd go up to the next road, take a left, and go up to the top of the hill, and there was a flat spot, and we'd play football up there, and we'd mark our spaces. You know, this, the edge of this driveway is a touchdown, the edge of this driveway is a touchdown. We'd pick teams, and we'd go at it. And I don't know how many of you recognize the um, Wilson, you remember the, the old Wilson Indestructo footballs? And some of you are going, oh yeah, I remember that. They were hard as a rock. Um, they were just kind of brutal. And we would play, and, and, you know, it's okay, like, during early fall where it's a little bit warmer. Those things aren't bad, but when it gets cold, the rubber, it, they were made of rubber, and they would just be hard. Well, I remember us getting together and playing, and, and on this particular sequence, I was playing defense. And my job was to cover the guy that was coming out for a pass, and it was a pretty long pass, and I saw the ball coming, and he was in front of me, and I stuck my hand out to try to block the pass, which was what I was supposed to do. It's what I was called to do. And I stuck my arm up between his arm and his chest, right up there in the pit, you know, right up in there. And that football came in, and I caught it. I didn't catch it like catch it. I caught it in between my third finger and my pinky finger. Yeah, in case, in case you don't get that, that should kind of make you cringe just a bit. And so I caught it right there, and, and it, it didn't stay there. I mean, it fell. But, but I caught it, and so I walked away from that, from that football game as the most proper person you, to drink tea that you could imagine. You know, I couldn't move my pinky. And so, uh, we're just trying to figure out what to do. So, they kind of gather around. I didn't cry, but it hurt like all get out. And so, walked down, and one of the neighbor's dads came out and said, Oh, I know what's wrong. It's just out of place. And so, he decided that it would be a good idea to try something. And so, he thought, hey, it'd be really good if we just kind of pulled on that and got it back in place. We did that for just a short time. I got on my bike, I rode home, <laughs> got, got home and um, ended up at the hospital, ended up with a cast up to here, yeah, it was broken and dislocated, and so when we got to the doctor, he put the pencil in there, we got it in place, and he said, just hold on to something, because this is going to hurt. I realized that, that pain, it was an obvious indicator that something was wrong and out of place. It was obvious Listen to the cry of Psalm 32 of David here. Psalm 32, 3 and 4. He says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And then we have that word, Selah. Just think about that. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle. It was basically this idea of my sin is weighing down on me to the point where it is uncomfortable. When we deal with sin, when we have sin going on in our life, and it's a regular part of our life, then, then we sort of reap the, the, the pain of that. We're uncomfortable when we're around God's people. We're uncomfortable when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we may lose sleep. We may feel drained. We, have all those physical, we may have those physical symptoms that something spiritual is, is really wrong. And so how do we address that? Because we have to address it. If we, if, we put, if we address everything that is physical that is wrong with us, whether it's, whether it's the emotional pain and we need to go to somebody for forgiveness or, or we need to get something right with somebody, or we have the, something physical going on and we go to the doctor to take care of that, if something spiritual is going on, why don't we deal with that as well? We kind of shove that aside. We say, God, I don't, I don't really want to deal with this. And David, David writes, I feel like I've got to deal with this. Michael Card said in his book, The Hidden Face of God, he states this, he says, God uses pain more than anything else to teach and to shape us. God uses pain more than anything else to, to teach and to shape us. Vernon Brewer, and I don't know if you know who Vernon Brewer is, he's the founder of World Help. And uh, he was a guy, and Tim, you know Vernon, because we, we went to Guatemala with him. And um, he developed cancer a, a while back, and he wrote a book about it called Why. And this is what he wrote in the book, because he'd been diagnosed, and he was trying to figure out how to deal with it. How to deal with the pain of it, but also how to deal with the emotional side of it. And this is what he wrote. He said, I remember walking down the hall at night and hearing my daughters cry themselves to sleep. It tore my heart out. I would close the door to my room and weep, knowing my children were suffering as was the suffering my children were going through is much worse than any physical pain I was in. Why is this happening to me? I'd come to the place where I was willing to let go of my life and willing to face death, death to my own desires, wants, and wishes. See, at some point, it went from the physical outward part of the pain that he was enduring to the emotional, but then he realized that it wasn't about either one of those. He had to give up what his desire was and say, God, what are you trying to do in the middle of this? And I would encourage you, if you're going through something and the biggest question you have is the question, why? Pick up a copy of that book. Vernon Brewer, he's the founder of World Health. It's called Why? And it just kind of walks through his journey. And so when we go through pain, we have to ask, our, ask the question, if we experience pain in our life, what is the reason for it? Why are we going through it? And then I want to ask this, have we become a culture that is addicted to pain culture or a nation addicted to pain and i know there's a, a lot of conversation about pain management because we we went from dealing with pain to having something that would that would help with pain and it, and it was prescribed 
uh, like opioids that were prescribed beyond what they needed to be prescribed, and then the pendulum swings back the other direction to where it's hard to even get pain management. But we do pain management in all kinds of different ways. And we seek to take care of the pain in various ways that maybe God didn't even design us to, to address that way. Pain may exist for the simple fact that God is drawing us to Himself. And so the first thing that I want us to grab out of this is that pain generates desperation. Pain generates desperation. In John 15... Jesus makes some statements here. And this is what he says in, verse, in chapter 15. And I'm going to start at verse 1, but we're going to talk about verses 2 through 4. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. And then in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. So when we read John 15 and, and go through this, realize that, that God is doing something in the life of those He calls His own. It's interesting that Jesus uses this phrase because these phrases, because when you look at it, you'd say, oh, this whole idea of pruning, that's like cutting off, and that's like getting rid of. Or even that, that part where he says he, he removes. But I, I want to go back and just look at it again, because the, the idea is that these, these folks, the, the ones he's using this analogy in, the, they are already part of the vine. And so he says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. That, that whole idea of not producing fruit. This word removes is the word arrow. Not A-R-R-O-W, it's more, it's more like A-I-R-O. And, and you see the word air in the middle of that. And, and the Greek means to take away or to lift up. Essentially to get it off the ground where it can, it can grow and be healthy. I was in a conversation this morning about just the yards and, and the wetness of the yards and grass and, and low spots and all that kind of stuff. And there is a, a spot in the vineyard where if the vine is on the ground, it doesn't get what it needs to get. And so the vine dresser would come along and lift it up so that it can produce fruit. So that's the first part of this. The second part is the group that produces fruit. He says, he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so it will produce more fruit. That word means to cleanse or remove the filth and impurity. It's to take off what seems to be hindering the growth of that particular vine, although it's not on the ground, not being suffocated on the ground. It is still in need of attention and has things on it that are attached to it that need to be cut away so that, the, so that it is healthy and, and gets to grow the way it should and produce even more fruit. Some of us may be in here and we're not producing fruit and God needs to lift us up off the ground and, and allow us to breathe a little. 
Second part, some of us may be producing fruit in our life. But there's some things that God has not been allowed access to in our lives. Part of our heart, maybe part of our habits, some sin that's going on in our life that we say, God, we don't really want you to have access to this. And God's saying, but you would be so much healthier if you just let me prune that away. And even prune away the shame and the guilt that comes along with it. See, we look at this and we may see the vine dresser in the role of destroyer, but that's not who he is. And we can easily go there because we understand that God is a God that is a judge. He is a right, righteous judge. And he has the right to judge sin all that he wants to. But as we heard about earlier as we were worshiping, the same vine dresser that is the judge is also the grace and mercy giver. And he is the one that wants you to prosper even more than you do now. He's the one that wants you to grow in his grace. And so it's, it's God, come on in, cut away what you need to, lift up where you need to, and allow me to get all the nutrients I can from the vine to be in Christ because I've allowed you access to me. Almighty God loves us, and He wants us to produce fruit. Experiencing pain can be corrective. It's the same thing as touching a hot stove. You touch it, you know. Don't do it again. You learned that as a, as a child. I, I learned that when I was on my bike, and I don't, I don't ride my bike any, anymore. I don't have a bike. I, we got rid of them because they sat in the garage and, or hung up in the garage much more than they were even used. But I do know this about riding a bike. When you're riding a bike, don't look sideways. You ought to look in front of you. And on that same street where I grew up in, in Bethel, we had a guy who we weren't allowed in his yard. And when I say we weren't allowed in his yard, it was a manicured green yard. And we weren't allowed to step foot in it, which is one of the reasons we didn't play football or anything around his yard. We didn't even like if we dropped the football or if it rolled up in there, bounced up in his yard. It was like, go get it, get out, don't get seen. And I remember riding my bike, and he had a yield sign in his front yard. Some like watch children yield, one of those kind of yellow. I didn't really care what the sign was, but it was in his yard. And I remember looking to the side and running my bike right into the signpost. I've got a chipped tooth to prove it. We, you learn by that. And so now, if I ride a bike, I'm kind of looking where I'm going. I prefer not to run into signs anymore. Just wasn't a good plan. Experiencing pain can be corrective. Job 5, 17 and 18 says, See how happy the man is God corrects. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. For He crushes but also binds up. He strikes but His hand also heals. Proverbs 3, 12, and you're familiar with this, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves just as a father, the son He delights in. Pain generates desperation. <coughs> Pain generates desperation. It's what happens at halftime in games. 
is the pain of not doing what you're supposed to do at halftime. You go into the locker room, you get chewed out, you get adjusted so that when you come out of the locker room, that adjustment relates to some type of victory at the end of the game. Same thing with cooking. If you're a cook, you know good cooks never not taste something along the way, right? You take, take a little bit of that sauce on the spoon. Who knows how many times Grandma took the spoon, stuck it in the sauce, tasted it, and put the spoon right back in. You go, well, the heat will kill the germs, you know? One of those kind of things. We want to make sure it's right. A little, little bit more salt or a little bit more garlic or whatever it happens to be. We make adjustments along the way. And so if you're experiencing pain, what adjustment is God wanting you to make in your life? Pain generates desperation. If we're desperate enough, then we will address it. The second thing is desperation activates repentance. So what is your point of desperation? And for us collectively, at what point is a church desperate? I've heard too many stories of churches that say, we're just not desperate enough, we're willing to close our doors. Because we don't want to repent of what we need to repent of. And so the church that was running 300 at one point, when 15 are still meeting in a building that holds 700, they don't want to address anything and don't want to make any changes. And are willing to stay there till nobody is left to pay bills or do anything. Pain hasn't become great enough. Desperation activates repentance. God longs for us to return to Him with an unparalleled passion and allegiance. Here, and you're familiar with this passage out of Second Chronicles. But I want to read a little bit more of it than we're used to reading in regards to revival. 2 Chronicles 7, 8 says, So Solomon and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, observed the festival at the time for seven days. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for the dedication of the altar lasted seven days and the festival seven days. Verse 10 says, On the 23rd day of the seventh month, seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents rejoicing and with happy hearts for, for the goodness of the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Now listen, everything's going good, really well. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace Everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Sounds really good, doesn't it? The, the building got built. Everything is good. We got together to dedicate it. And we rejoiced that, that it was finished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, And you're going to recognize this. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people, here's that verse, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, 
and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to the prayers from this place. Catch what, catch what is said here. Everything is going great. Things seem to be all in order within the temple. And God says, but what if I take something away? Will they turn? What if I take it away so they experience pain? Then this is what ought to happen. They ought to come before me. My people ought to come before me, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven. A simple prescription. They rejoiced with happy hearts for the goodness of the Lord. Everything was successful. And yet God reminds them that the way to continue in that is to continually come before Him and check yourselves. And say, God, am I lacking something? If you send pain, it's, it's on purpose so that I can be drawn back to you. So maybe we ought to acknowledge the pain. God's judgments are not generated by cruelty, but rather out of His great love for us. His desire is that we become desperate for Him. And so pain generates desperation, and desperation activates repentance. The last thing, letter C, repentance accelerates revival. Repentance accelerates revival. In 1904, a young man by the name of Evan Roberts went to his home church with a simple four-point message. He had stayed awake, received this message from the Lord. He said, this is what I feel like I have to deliver. And he challenged the people to confess all known sin, Abandon any doubtful habits, obey the, the Holy Spirit promptly, and confess Christ publicly or to witness, to take it somewhere else. This became the theme of the Welsh revival. The result? The people turned in confession and repentance. And a mighty revival came that shook the world. An incredible story of this young man taking one simple passage one simple idea and taking it to a group of people and people responding because they recognized God's hand at work. But they had to recognize that God's hand was at work. Jeremiah 29 is a very familiar passage to us. You can turn there if you want to, Jeremiah 29, and we quote it. And we've talked about this before. We quote Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you. And we always read that around graduation and things like that. But listen to the context of 29. Chapter 29, verse 10 says, For this is what the Lord says, When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute, God. I've got a question. I love verse 11, but I'm not so sure about verse 10. I don't know if I like this 70-year thing. I mean, if God were to promise you 70 years and say, hey, you're just not going to like the next 70, but it's okay. How would you feel about that? Would you go, wait, I don't need that, God. You just keep that to yourself. 
Well, you know the reason they ended up in exile for 70 years, right? Because they turned away from God. And as much as God desired and put, put some kind of pain in their life to draw them back to Himself, they said, we recognize the pain, but we don't need you, God. And so God took them away. So 70 years. 70 years. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete. Then in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Then verse 12, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that whole idea, all of it, just not part of it, all your heart. I will be found by you, the Lord the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. The Lord's declaration, I will restore you to the place I deported you from. I mean, it, it ends up sounding really good, but understand, there's pain on the front end, this pain that, that came as a result of their disobedience, but God's calling them back and reminding them Reminding them that the place that they need to seek after is not a physical place or something external to God. It is God. That's really what they're looking for. They're not going to find it in Babylon. They didn't find it in the other places they looked. They just said, we've got to come to the place where God, that we are desperate for Him. See, There's good news couched in the call to awaken and return to God. Evan Roberts' questions were, or the thing that he asked them to do is to consider this. Confess all known sin. Put away every doubtful habit. Obey the Spirit promptly and confess Christ openly and consistently. Now we say we desire revival. We say that. Do we really? You see, I think, actually I'm pretty sure of it, that God desires revival as well. I don't think God's going, yeah, they're asking for revival, but I'm, no. No, I prefer not them not be revived at all. No, I don't think that's what God does at all. I think God would love us to respond in a way that says, God, we are open to you. We will confess all known sin. We'll respond to the Spirit promptly. We'll be a witness. We'll put away those things that are doubtful and the habits that keep us from you and allow you to do your glorious work in our individual lives and us collectively as a church. question is, what if He's waiting for us to repent out of desperation for Him? Do we want God that much? God came in this room right now, would we want Him that much? easy to get complacent to be apathetic to just go through the motions but that's not what God calls us to he calls us to be a different people a people who are called by his name a people that have a badge on us that say we belong to the king 
See, the good thing is we read the end of the book and we think everything's good. And it is. It is. The end of the book is great. But what if in this meantime that the things that we endure and have pain in, the, the places where we're struggling is God's call from Him to us in saying, I want to draw you to myself and help you enjoy this life, to enjoy the abundant life that was promised through Jesus Christ. Enjoy it now. Not enjoying life for life's sake, going, man, I really love the weather and, and I love getting out in the spring and all those kind of things. Not that kind of enjoyment, but enjoying the presence of God in the midst of the life that we live. What if it's about that? There was a Ugandan pastor who was explaining how revival came to Uganda. And he said, he made some statements about it. And he said, you know, we prayed for revival, but God took us through a lot of pain. A lot of pain. He said, and we, we understand that that pain came past the point of, past the, the point of desperation, but it went to devastation. He said, it took God devastating our country for us to turn back to Him. He said, what about your nation? His question, will God send an outpouring of His Spirit upon the church and the nation, talking about this nation, through desperation, or will it require devastation? I thought that was a good question. Because it takes the church rising up and saying, God, we are not only yours, but we are dedicated and desperate for you. And for you to do something in our midst. See, a national revival occurred in Nehemiah's day when the people turned back to God. And we read about this dedication of them and their commitment to God as the, the law is read in Nehemiah 8 and 9. It was a celebration of what God had done. And it was evidenced in the 52 days it took to rebuild the wall. That's recorded in Nehemiah 6.15. The wall was restored and, and they had already turned back, but they were coming before Him and celebrating what God had done. Revival had come to that spot. A spiritual awakening had happened within the nation. And they rejoiced because of what God had done in their midst. The question for us is, how will we move forward? When we get to noon today, will we be any different than we were at 10.30 when we walked in the place? Will we be any closer to turning to God and saying, God, I'm desperate for you, I need you, I want you, and every part of my life is wide open to you touching and pruning and lifting up and doing all the things that you want to do so that I can abide in you the way you designed for me to abide in you. We'll be, we'll be in that spot. So this morning the altar is open. This place is open. Then you go, I don't want to come all the way up front. I get embarrassed if I come all the way up front. I want to tell you that, that nobody's really paying attention to you coming up front. They may be praying for you, but they're not going, wonder what's going on in them. We don't have that going on. And if you're thinking that, you ought to repent of that. 
the altars up front so that we can come up here and nail down the things that God's doing in our life, recognizing that this is just a separation spot up here for me to do business with God. And realize, oh, the, the seat is more comfortable. The place where I'm at is more comfortable. I'll have to step over three or four people to get to this spot. Is it worth the pain to do that? Is it worth the energy and the effort to come to the front? I've seen people come to the front, and I wondered with some of them, they come to the front because physically they, it's even hard for them to kneel down. They come to the front and they kneel, and you wonder how in the world they're going to get up. But they've gone through the pain of doing that because they realize that what they need, the business that they need to do with God is much greater than the pain or the, the embarrassment of possibly not being able to get up from that spot. They needed to come before God. So the altar will be open this morning for those that wish to come and experience the awesomeness of new life in Christ, the grace that He offers, the hope that He offers through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's like nothing else. Life in Christ is like nothing else. And when we are totally surrendered to Him, it is a wonderful experience. The new life may be what you need to experience this morning. You may need to come in confession and repentance. That may be a must for you. You say, I've got something going on in my life. I'm really not sure how to handle it. Come to the altar. God does. He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly how to guide you through it. But it will never happen if you stay in your seat and don't address it before God. It's a must for you to come in confession and repentance. And then some of us, some of us may need to come to the altar and just pray. Pray for you, pray for our church, pray for our nation. That God would do something. It's being in that spot where God, if I cry out, my life is in order and is in such a way that if I cry out, that your ears would be open from heaven and that you will respond and do something in our midst. And so there is a place at this altar for everybody in this room. Everybody. And I realize it could get jammed, but let's worry about that if it does. This place is open for us to do business with God. And some of us need to do business with God. If we're ever going to move forward, and revival and spiritual awakening. To see the goodness of God displayed like never before in an awakening to happen within our community that people are coming to Christ because something has started and they want in on it. And they recognize sin. And they recognize their inability to reach heaven on their own and know that they need a Savior. So this morning as God calls you, come to the altar. In Evan Roberts' words, confess all known sin, put away every doubtful habit, obey the Spirit promptly, and confess Christ openly and consistently. So let's pray. And as God leads you, you come. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.